0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dancer Talks. My name is McCall Sheets, and I'm your host. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of talking to Jack Gray of Atamira Dance Company. A few weeks ago, I saw the Atamira Dance Company perform at the Joyce Theater in New York City. The show was stunning. I've never seen anything like it before, and I was so intrigued to learn more about the company, the choreographic process, and the Maori culture. My conversation with Jack Gray was pretty life-changing. I uncovered a new way of thinking and I'm excited to share this episode with you. The Atamira Dance Company is the leading creator and presenter of Maori Contemporary Dance Theatre from Aotearoa, New Zealand. The work embodies a unique artistic landscape shaped by the cultural identity of their people and their stories. Jack Gray is a world-class recognized Maori contemporary dancer, choreographer, teacher, facilitator, and writer. He is the founding member and became artistic director of Atamira Dance Company in 2018. I am so excited to share this episode with you, and the conversation that I had with Jack Gray was so meaningful, and I learned so much during our talk. I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed. it recording it.
1: Well, thank you so much again for coming to do this interview. Um, I've been listening to all your interviews online and reading all of your content and everything. And I am so inspired by your story. And I was wondering if you could just give me a little more information about how you started your choreographic journey and your process and creating the company.
2: For sure. Well, thanks for the opportunity to connect here in beautiful Manahata. Um, yeah, and this place is a place that I have been previously. I've done arts residencies here at, at NYU at Asian Pacific American Institute and really um, endeavoured to build a connection relationship with place and, and also from an Indigenous point of view, connecting in with uh, Lenape culture and people and language. Um, you know, which is something as a Māori person from Aotearoa, it's really important to me. But to answer your question around um, my journey, um, yeah, I mean, it's you know, the company that I founded, Asmida, was created in two thousand, um, probably probably around the year you were born, maybe. <laughs> <laughs>
3: 1997, pretty close. Okay,
2: and yeah, I started dance training, formal dance training around 95, uh, when I was um, around 17, 18, and really happy and inspired to find the world of contemporary dance and, and allow my um, growing interest in expression to, to uh, grow. And a lot of our teachers in New Zealand at the time had trained in New York. And so I would say there's this really interesting relationship between what is known as New Zealand contemporary dance with its connections and roots to uh, different choreographers from New York, and then which I was trained in. And then a couple of years later in 2000, when I decided that I would like to find my way in the dance world with my cultural identity. And so in creating Atomira, which means platform stage uh, which we've used which we've used to honor the theater space from a cultural level but also there's a traditional meaning to it which is the platform um, for the ancestors' bones and so um, you know that's taken us on a journey of discovery where we've been able to um, explore the you know, the creative, um, expanse that is there for dance and identity to, um, to arise. And yeah, I spent some time in Europe, um, as a younger dancer, uh, I think at the time that was the center of where I think, uh, exciting and interesting contemporary dance was being made and different types. I was really exposed to, non-dance theatre practices, um, different types of street art, um, installation. So my uh, limited idea about what is performance was actually started to open. And then I noticed like in Europe, uh, they work across the continent. So you could be in a project with people from this country and that country and that country and then they're all simultaneously exploring their relevant cultural identities with that, with whatever project idea or theme. So that kind of intrigued me. So I think being part of a collective has always been a major part of my influence. And Atumira has always been in that vein. So we've all been a combination of choreographers, dancers, and then we've had to learn how to produce, direct, administrate, you know, start to write our own funding grants and things like that to look at the totality of what an arts practice is, um, become teachers. And when you're creating something in a world, and environment, in community, you're just bringing in the skills. And if you can't afford to do that, you have to do it yourself. So I think that that ethos has always been a part of what's made us really well-rounded um, collaborators. And then I guess I came back to, to New Zealand at a certain point in time um, and was really focused on, uh, in my 20s, like a dance career and then performing in many choreographer's works, traveling and touring, uh, workshops, teaching. Um, and then it got to a certain point where, you know, obviously uh, it's when you're freelancing as an independent, um, it's, it's really hard to have that sustainable income. And so there were some times that were really difficult. So I just needed to start thinking, you know, what does sustainability look like for me? And I don't think I can continually stay in the challenges of independent freelancing and coming in and out of dance projects. Like, what, what, how do I want to see my life unfold? And take some ownership about that so I guess the work that I did on myself then was to deeply focus on my passions which are around my culture Maori culture are around dance choreography and then also around um, traveling and engaging with different um, communities and specifically indigenous communities and then with that focus of mine I ended up um, looking towards the US, um, thinking a lot about the uh, Native American story, but also all the other uh, Indigenous peoples that are here. And so I um, started my relationship with this continent around 10 years ago. And where I found myself was uh, embedded within the UC um, system in California. Yeah, I was an assistant professor at Rivers- U uh, C Riverside. Um, I was a Regents lecturer at U C L A, and then I was a guest artist at U C Berkeley. And those are some really interesting places and really social justice orientated. And so I learned a lot about American culture and and the tensions and the difficulties and the the histories. And it seemed to me that there was a lot of invisibilizing of Native American people and disempowerment of them. And then, I guess, institutionalized and systemic racism uh, affecting many people. So, as a person from another place and another cultural perspective, and coming from the place of my own empowerment, I thought, oh, this is going to be a really interesting way of exploring where the meeting. Points are uh, for dialogue, conversation, connection, and, and sharing of resources. And so I was basically at these institutions as an Indigenous international representative, uh, bringing in um, communities, Indigenous communities, into the institution to share and to experience and then to work with creatively. So that led to, and then I came to New York. Um, at Asian Pacific American Institute and did similar work where I met and created a huge community of incredible artists. So yeah, all of that was amazing and and shifted me tremendously. And then uh, the opportunity to return home happened at the end of 2017, where I was um, successful in applying for the job with my company as the artistic director. and. I I kind of felt like after years and years and years of kind of traveling around and being around the world, it was a good time to go home and to share some of those insights, because you know, when you come from an island, uh, the thinking can be very insular. And so I was like, there are things of the world to to think about and to grow ourselves and also to highlight some of the brilliant things that we actually have. Sometimes you don't know what you've got until you've been elsewhere and see what they don't have. And then, yeah, so I've been with the company since then and then COVID happened and then that's been a whole story unto itself. But in the midst of it all, we were successful in uh, being nominated by Mid-Atlantic Arts Alliance to um, think about staging work in the U.S. and we're here at the Joyce and you know as soon as at, we've only just come out of lockdown um at the end of last year and so this is my first trip out, out out since january 2020
1: that's that's incredible wow and you got to go i saw you were in hawaii and california wow so okay just saying something personal i'm from uh Southern California, so I know exactly what you're talking about with the different universities, and it's incredible that you're able to bring yourself, your perspective, and your culture to those universities, because a lot of times, as someone who grew up there, everyone, like you said, if you're from an island, but even, I feel like where I grew up, I was kind of in my own little island. Everyone's thinking the same way. They don't really know anything outside of that, and then we bring in other people from other places or even when you brought your work to the Joyce, it really inspired me and got me thinking about other things and and i'm so lucky that i got to talk to you so can you tell me a little bit more about the piece that you put on and about how you choreographed it i heard that there were eight different choreographers
2: definitely so we started thinking about this work around 2018 with the view that 2020 was Atamira's 20th anniversary. And so because of COVID, we pushed it to become a 21st anniversary. And we, um, I guess we were wanting to create a work that was a representation of, um, the whole, the whole existence of our company, the many hands, the many bodies, the many minds, um, And understanding that we have an opportunity as dance makers of Māori contemporary dance to have lasted long enough to be able to look back at our archive of works and see our journey, a creative journey, our cultural journey, and our evolution um, happen to a point where we're now able to draw upon our own icons as references of something that wasn't there before we were here. And so, you know, we're creating history. We're also looking to the future. So those were some of the thoughts that we had. And then I guess because of COVID, uh, we were drawn to the uh, spiritual guardian in our culture in Oce- of Oceania, uh, Te Whike, the octopus, which um, came with, a, um, a, a Maori elder by the name of Rangi Maria Rose Pere she had um, developed over her life a, a medicine I'm saying a medicine wheel that was related to the um, to the octopus and each, a, each of the eight tentacles being, a, being one aspect uh, pivotal to the values of the Maori world and I'll see if I can remember them Mm -hmm. Uh, they they are um, let me go in the order of the show Uh, yeah so the first one is Modi and Modi is life force the second one is whanaungatanga which means family The, the next one after that is uh I think it's Hinengaro. No, no, no. It's, it's actually Wairua. Wairua it means two rivers and that relates to the spirit spiritual realm. So the one river being this world and then the other river being the spirit world. And then the fourth one is Hinengaro, which means it's the hidden woman, which refers to the inner psyche and the realm of, uh, in the third eye. Fatu Manawa, which is the, um, it's the emotional insights. And then there was Mana Ake, which is the piece that I choreographed, which is really about our authority for ever and ever and then there was, uh tukuna which is the realm of the ancestors and then the last piece which was called tīnana which is about everything to do with the body and so we thought in these times where our health vitality and well-being have been under threat globally um we wanted to see if we could tap into these ancient wisdoms in order to realign the chaos in the world. So those are just some of the ideas of the work, the way we choreographed it. Um, So I wanted to um, bring through a new generation of dancers. So instead of saying, okay, we're going to do a retrospective and we're going to use all the people from the past, I'm like, how can we speak to the future and what we're what this legacy and succession looks like in a real way? And so I gathered the new dancers, and some there are some experienced dancers in there, of course, and then brought together choreographic practitioners from our um, lineage of art making, and paired people up and then gave them one of the themes. And then we all had two weeks together to develop these solos, which once they were created, we then then threaded together with, I had two assistant directors, Kelly Nash and Tani Mete, who I worked with, and we drew from our compendium of um, highlight moments of works from the past, And then created new ensemble works to thread the energies together of the new solos. So it was, it was a really amazing process. Um, it's fought and difficult and complex. Um, because we're culturally honoring the individuality of the makers, we're honoring the lived experience of the performing body who is, you know, they're their own selves once they're on stage. And then we're thinking about the totality of our pantheon of works and what that's meant. What have we brought to the world theatrically? What do we bring uh, narratively, dramaturgically? And so so Wheeke is really this living consciousness of who we are. And it's been really interesting to be here in... The US back home in New Zealand, people have been able to relate to it and read it and understand it because they know the genealogy of who we are. So they're like, Oh wow, this, this, all of these kaleidoscopic experiences that we know of the company are all in one work. Um, but of course, we're introducing not only that work but the company and the form and what is Māori contemporary dance to the world, and um. Yeah, so p- people have been constantly asking, what does it mean? What are the symbols? And I've been mm-hmm. saying to them, um, well, first of all, there's an assumption that there is one way of understanding everything. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is, you know, uh, sometimes the, the most easiest way to transport sacred vibration is through movement, rather than words, rather than the mind. It's like, it's it's all about feeling, and the feelings that get transmitted and left in the space, and that that in its own self is part of what's, what's the, the residue of our humanity on all levels, and I think that in some ways the American audience uh are using their minds to try and get it. But, but I think that where we're coming from is a different space. And it, it's coming from an ancestral space. It's coming from the felt space and the unseen realm. And that is, causes a lot of concern for some people because they need to feel culturally safe and navigate how to navigate through that. But I also think there's value in just receiving the medicine and really just sitting with it. So I really acknowledge you for making sure that you talk to me about it, you know, to get that insight.
1: Yeah, definitely, because I totally get it. People in America were always given the exact meaning of things, even in the arts. In America, it's very straightforward. And to me, it gets kind of boring when it's straightforward, because then you don't have that artistic ability in your mind to create what you see or understand it in your own way. And that's why your piece spoke so much to me, because I went with someone, um, my friend, and what I experienced was probably different than what he experienced to what the person sitting next to us experienced, to what you experienced or the dancers on stage experienced. And I was also drawn to, um, I heard in one of your interviews, you talking about how when you like, brought dancers to this dance form, how they were um, connecting with their ancestors. Can you talk a little bit about that and how the process is and, and what it's like? Yeah.
2: Um, So I guess being Māori, so just to talk a little about what that is. So our ancestors' origins um, come from places that um, don't exist in the Western world. So in our cosmology, in our sort of cultural, universal truths. Our ancestors are from a place called Hawaii and there are three Hawaiis, Hawaii Nui, which is the big Hawaii, Hawaii Rua, which is the far Hawaii, and Hawaii Pamamao, which is the scattered Hawaii. And in many ways we just use that in our recitations because that's what we were pass down. And so we say these locations of where they come from, which is from the ocean. But I think when people academics and people have unpacked, what might that mean? They, they're not talking about Hawaii solely. They're not talki- they might be talking about the North American continent or they might be talking about the, the, uh, what we know as Polynesia because they were ocean, ocean people. So they're coming upon lands far away from each other, um, lands that are scattered. So it makes sense that they're really just referring to the wider region. So that's where our tipuna, tipuna is ancestor, ancestors come from. But linguistically, there are roots that connect us to Taiwan. Um, people say that Taiwan and Māori, Taiwanese and Māori, have the closest DNA to each other. And then there's that's, that's a region that's known for its Austronesian language, and there are similarities. So, you know, how our ancestors migrated around. Is really interesting and then also um there's the kumara which is the sweet potato originated from peru and it's considered an indigenous uh vegetable so our ants this was pre-colonial pre-british coming we had that sweet potato from peru so i'm like i don't know where that came from so either they People near Peru, so like um, the closest of the islands would be Rapa Nui, which is Easter Island, which is right near Chile, um, that would be the closest. So there could have been trading there and then they went to Tahiti and then Tahiti went to Rarotonga and then Hawaii went to Tonga, and then from the Cook Islands is where a fleet of seven canoes that form all of the ancestors of the Māori people left from, and came to Aotearoa, New Zealand. Yeah. So when we use the word Māori, that's a post-colonial word to describe the brown people that were found in that country. Um, We're tribally based, so everyone, everyone has a different canoe that they belong to and everyone has a different mountain, they have a different river. They have a um, a different, we call it a marae, which is sort of like a Native American longhouse kind of ceremonial community house. So we belong to the land. We belong to our stories and our genealogies. And our, and our ancestors are people's names who we remember like three, four hundred generations. Wait, I can't remember. Thirty-four generations back, maybe. And then... The, the British, the Treaty of Waitangi is a really important conversation because it was the treaty between all the Ma- well, most of the Māori tribes and the British Crown that happened, that was signed in 1840, and it's been a source of contention because the terms of the treaty were misinterpreted, they were mistranslated, but they were also not honoured. Our land was confiscated, our language was banned, and uh, around the period of 1840 to about 1940, um, our way of life has completely changed. So in the show, you'll see some ancestors dressed in sort of more colonial clothing and that represents that period of time where those ancestors saw the land taken from them and then they were fighting in courts to reclaim that land back and with the aim of their future descendants being able to return to their land. And so in our period of time, you know, we've all been raised. So there was a period of urbanisation between, I'd say the uh, post-war, World War Two. So after that, the city, uh, New Zealand cities became populated. That's where factories and work appeared. And so our small way of community life on the edges, by the water, fishing, uh, ceased to be enough. And Māori people migrated in the thousands into the cities. So my parents come from, my father comes from the east coast, Tokamaru Bay. There's a a really famous, um, it's called a teko teko, it's a, Um, I'm going to use words like a statue, a sacred statue, that's here at the Natural American Natural History American History. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, at that museum. So my ancestral um, statue was there, and has been away from New Zealand for a hundred years. And up until like five or six years ago, no Māori person had ever seen it. And I was, when I was here doing that work, I connected in with some people and we were taken to be shown um, this form. And yeah, really powerful, amazing origin. um, And my father's people are Ngāti So we have our meeting house. This meeting house was sold to a European uh, curiosity collector in about 1890, and it was shipped to England, went to Germany to a museum, then was sent to the World Fair in Chicago, and all of the world's cultural treasures that had been looted from indigenous peoples were then housed in the New Field Museum, which was built solely to contain all all of what had been taken. So when I was here, I can't remember twenty fourteen maybe. Um, I made my first trip to the museum to visit my what's called a fari noi, uh, my father's house, and yeah, really emotional, knowing that you know uh, my father, his father, their father probably hadn't seen that house. So, these things are things that truly, deeply compel me, and I'm learning. I'm using my life to um, uh, find these threads of our genealogy and to uh, reignite our connection to our stories because they're really important. Like that house is, is now a touristic exhibition. But I'm like, traditionally, our houses were the keepers of our genealogy, whereby we could like learn all about our ancestors all the way back. So I didn't get that. And I remember being really traumatised by the experience. And I think my experience of, like, I'm lucky to be born in my country and I'm lucky to know of my culture and I'm lucky to continue decolonizing and re my experience so I can have a deeper relationship to myself and then I, I would say that the the issues that come with colonisation include um, people not being able to centre themselves being alienated being incarcerated and, and being led into despair because They can't connect to their roots. But luckily, that instinct has always been in me. And I've, in channeling through dance, it's allowed me to um, build myself to a point where I can actually use my dance making as a way forward in the world. You know, so that people, as you say, like people will invite me to be a teacher, a lecturer, or share. Um, but that's just to give me a step in so I can get closer to re, re, reconnecting with our stolen ancestral spaces. Um, so that's my journey about how I understand ancestry. So then it's my responsibility as a, a, as a mentor, as a teacher, as a choreographer, director, to impart that knowledge of that lived experience. Cause You know, we're living, we're all living the most unique version of our ancestors right now. Your ancestors would never have done the things that you're doing and not have had resources in the same way, I'm guessing. Um, And therefore, your responsibility to them is to, I think, um, be, be in a good way. With yourself, with people around you, with people that are impacting and influencing you, and vice versa, you know, and finding your true purpose and place to pursue um, a good life. And it's not about ego. It's not about external success. Although, if those things come by nature of just being true to yourself, fantastic. Um, you know, being at the Joyce is an amazing I feel like it's a pinnacle moment in terms of our, our dance making for our West, like we've been recognized as, um, in the dance, international dance world, which is a wonderful success just because there are, no, there are no other Māori people before us to achieve that. So I'm really glad that we've elevated Māori culture onto the world stage in this way. Um, And then, of course, there's more to go and there's more stories to unpack and more definition. And so now it's we've launched that into the world and that's our contribution to our ancestors. So when I talk to the dancers, these are the things that I talk about. And a lot of them, I'll say something I'm sad about, which is I've had to fight so hard in my life to address intergenerational trauma. I just thought that it would stop after us and that the next generation would get easier, but it, it's still, it's still continuing. And, you know, the, the loss and the not knowing and the ignorance of the truth of things is still hidden because people weren't educated. You know, so our people aren't educated to, the, to our story. And, you know, it's quite interesting when American people are saying to me, can you tell me about the story? I'm like, well, actually, our people still need to learn our story too, because it's not taught. So I've learned only through conversation and going to my land and going to the museum and figuring as much out as I possibly can, and then using my art to reflect on it. And then that causes conversation, which growth, which gives me understanding. But for the young ones, they're graduating from a more or less generic Westernized education system. Um, many of them are because as the generations go by, you know, they're uh, white presenting. Um, they would have had no engagement with their traditional lineages and where they come from. And so the first thing we do is try and map out their genealogy with them and their families to just at least have the basic starting point of going. I'm a Māori person and I relate to this tribe and this tribe. And then that's just a theory that they can hold until they do their own work in their lives to go, I want to go actually find out what that is, but how do I go back? Who do I talk to? Um, What am I looking for? And I'm excited by those questions because I think that's where the energy behind creative responses as Māori dancers can come. You know, it doesn't need to be separated from your dance practice. Like, that can be part of your dance investigation, your research, um, your reflection, knowledge-making. So, yeah, that, <clears throat> that would be how I do it. And then also, I guess, like, I'm talking to you, like, you know, we, we're doing this podcast, but we're having a, a genuine exchange. Like, I know that you're not saying much, but I can feel you're receiving of this. And so that transmission and that connection is how traditionally all of this knowledge has been passed anyway. Because um, for Māori, we're we're an oral culture tradition. So we didn't have a written form. We only... Our our memories are carved in wood as design. They're woven in grasses. They're... um, you know, the, the, um, our cloaks, our mats, our like the the knowledge systems are interwoven in there, and our language is very uh, spirit. It's it's only based on the spirit. Like you can't go. And now I'm talking about the spirit. Whereas in Western world, you have to actually contextualize that because people wouldn't assume. They're like, there's no spirit. We're talking about this world. This one dimensional world. So that's why, like, I'm like, okay, culturally, spiritually, you've heard me say these words as a signpost that we're just not sitting in this room. We're in a space, you know, beyond, beyond. Um, and I think it's really challenging for the dancers to be both young people discovering themselves and then being asked to be experts at this form that transmits all this information.
1: Yeah, definitely. Because as someone, it, it just brings dance to a whole new level when you connect with yourself and your ancestors and not just thinking about the steps and the one-dimensional, quote-unquote, one-dimensional part of dance. And I think that's what makes it so special, though, and how it's so much it touches you and it feeds your soul like, to the audience and also to the dancers more than just doing some steps. Like as someone who studied ballet for a long time, it can, you know, people, when they get older, they're like, why am I even doing this? It's just steps. I might not feel connected to these steps, but um, it's interesting that you talked about going back um, and thinking about your ancestors. Because similar happened to me, but not in in the way of you um, that, that your company does. But I started taking this acting class and we do sensory work where it's where you, you know, you you envision someone, you think about the memories you have with them, and then you can actually feel their presence and when you're doing a scene or dancing or something and you actually feel like they're there and you really, really feel connection. And that's how it makes it feel real. And I feel like once I had done that and learned that that technique of connecting like with my past and with people that I've, you know, my grandparents and my ancestors like that, it changed me as a dancer. And it it's really awesome to hear that you are doing similar work with your dancers, but also learning about your own culture. And that's that's incredible, and to to know that, um, or to hear that they had those carvings and all the art and all of that, it's amazing because those things, like you know, our generation is very on the phone, digital, and in a second, all the digital things can disappear. But the carvings, the art, and all of the the cultural um moments that you have in your in the Maori culture and all that, that it doesn't disappear like that. You know, you can talk to someone or you can see that the things, even if it's in the museum, which I think is absolutely crazy that they stole that. I'm learning so much from you. It's so exciting.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean there's there's so much to unpack and I think Yeah. You know, I mean I'm enjoying this talk with you because most people have an agenda. They want to ask very specific questions and get very specific answers. But I'm enjoying because how we're operating, talking to each other, um, you know, you're like, okay, I'll talk about my ancestors, and then I'll talk about the carvings, then I'll talk about digital generation. And then, you know, all of those th- thoughts, that's actually the way that we communicate. And and so this idea of being direct about something is pointless because I'm like, well, I can give you a direct answer, but that's not the actual answer. <laughs> that's just a direct response to your direct question. Yeah. And so I think this kind of mixing of worlds is, is more relevant, you know, and then kind of going, how crazy is that that they stole that and that that's there? And You know, it's... I don't know what your do you want to share how you identify culturally or um, how do you understand uh, your ancestry?
1: Like really as I feel like I don't really know a lot about my ancestry besides taking a ancestry.com oh, yeah. test. So mostly my dad's side is from England and my mom's side is from Eastern Europe. Yeah. And it's very interesting because growing up I there was always those culture days at school and lots of people have specific you know, oh, there's a lot of people from Iran in my school, for example, and so they're like, "Oh, I'm Persian, this is me um but as someone who parents didn't my parents are second generation from their parents being in Europe, they didn't really their parents tried to be as much American as they could when they were here because they just wanted to fit in, so my parents really don't know a lot um her, my mom's mom is from the Czech Republic and She does not know anything about her culture. And now my grandma has dementia, so we don't really know a lot. But I've been to Prague and I've, you know, I've got to dance there actually, which was awesome. And so it was really amazing to experience that. And then my dad (laughs) has all these random stories about people in London that are his relatives and um, just like random things that just pop up the more you talk to someone. Because sometimes, you know, growing up as, as someone in America, you just go with the flow and you just try to be, not ask questions as much. And, and once I started asking questions to my parents, they started opening up to at least what they knew. And then my dad would ask his mom when she was alive, my grandmother, she passed away five or six years ago. And then my dad has a few brothers, so they would talk. And then they'd be like, oh, yeah, that happened, that happened. so it's, yes, the talking and communicating really brought about uh, cultural appreciation and, and really learning about what happened. Because it would be so sad not to know my past.
2: Well, This is interesting because I feel like I've always had a a really unique and amazing experience working in this nation. And, you know, I work in the dance space and I know a lot of dancers who, like yourself, grow up with the experiences of being in America, coming from their own histories. And and the idea of, you know, like, I'm thinking, you know, first of all, why would someone from the Czech Republic come this way? Are they escaping something? Are they fleeing the war are they you know what's going on and then why is it important that they downplay their identity was it difficult to be what they are or, you know was it was it easier to and you know what kind of bias was around them and prejudice because um you know this land has been repopulated it's been resettled and so all of the immigrants in the second generation the third generations are now effectively American. So part of that was to lose their individual culture, identity, in order to fit in, in order to create a sense of equality of all of these people settling in this land, Um, with its histories of black slavery and genocide of Native Americans. And it's easier to resolve the difficulties by fitting in. what i found is that the very tentative explorations there open up when I share my story or I share my reality as a Maori person and the expectations of our cultural way to know all the way back. Um, you know, it does what it does, which is like tweak, tweak that part of a person's like neural programming where they're like, hang on a
3: second. Wait. I think I've got something as well.
2: You know. And in a way, your humanity requires it because being a citizen of a state is political. It's not personal. And it's not relational. And so everyone here is... I mean, I'm being super general. But, you know, they the conversation of the tension is between is between political beliefs not actually personal beliefs or cultural beliefs and then so that's to me there's illusion in that and that's why things never resolve themselves because the actual source of the foundation of what creates and what creates or what's the word, or heals um and creates a a restoration of being is missing. So, you know, I'm used to... That's why, you know, all of the universities were, like, so enthralled because, you know, I'm not bringing information from an academic thing. I'm bringing it from a living... Uh, cultural intelligence, yeah and i'm and I'm articulating it in multiple ways through through movement that already belongs to the world, um, but we've made it our own, and then through a colonized language, they even here people don't understand because you know they're like uh, you know Americans can't hear British accent very well, and I'm like. Coping with the idea that I have a colonised English, you know, the reason why it sounds British is because the British people colonised us. So, you know, that's, that's revealed to me every time I speak here, you know, which is uncomfortable in some ways as well. And then we're reclaiming our traditional language as well. So that's another thing. And we, you know, that's in the show, it's in the music, it's in the chanting, it's in the sounds. You know, some of us have Māori names, so, you know, that's, that's all the ways in which our language is connecting to this place. Um, but I, I like the idea of exchange. I've always been drawn to that because I think our job as creatives is to transform. And then I'm like, why stop at just a cosmetic transformation? or an aesthetic transformation? Why not, like, politically transform? Why not spiritually transform? Why not influence and transform? Mm-hmm. And in so doing, like, I think, um, I guess by me being here and Asamita being here, the transformation is that what was not here before has now been mm-hmm. visualized, And so... So that is a reference point now in the world that there was a Māori dance company that performed at the Joyce Theatre. And that's not the be-all and end-all because there's only one theatre in the whole world. But but significantly, and in regards to all of the understandings about dance in this particular city, I'm like, it's now part of the genealogy. So that's really cool. Yeah.
1: This conversation is amazing. It's just, everything that you've said has got me thinking so much. Yeah, it's it's just incredible because it's just the beginning for, you know, New York, every, it's just, a, there's so many people from all over and it, it makes sense what you said, like, everyone, being American is not really a spiritual identity or, or an actual cultural identity. Um, Lots of people try to fit in, especially now Ugh. the internet and all especially the younger generation. It's really crazy and all the young people that I talk to, I mean I'm young, but the younger people that I talk to sometimes I babysit or I know younger people um in my family, I try to introduce them to the arts because it's a great way to identify with something bigger, find who you are, and understand other people. Because the way you move is not dictated by, unless it's a technique, but also the way you feel when you're doing it is not dictated by someone else telling you who you are or or something, uh, the state you live in or the country you live in. So I find that super exciting.
2: It is exciting. I, I last year I was working on a new development, and um, you know I've I've choreographed for a long time, and I've changed myself throughout my career because I'm like the more important thing is not what you are and what you want to see. It's more what skills you have and how do you want to use them. And, you know, what's our purpose with people? And it's sort of like, my purpose to my own self is to be responsible to my ancestors. So I can do that myself. I don't need another dancer to do that. Um, So I was working with the dancers last year and my thing is to have an experience and then to ask them to just respond physically to it. And I don't ask them to interpret it. I don't ask them to represent it. I just ask them to move with that in their being. And I never think that we're going to ever get this idea of purity, where you're like, I am fully embodying my absolute essence. It would be great if it goes. But I'm like, we're human. We've got too many things that derail us from being one. You know, we'll just get distracted. We just can't help it. And so there's this fallibility about our humanity that I'm like, if I'm working with dance, I'm always going to have to factor that in. And so you have to make space for people to be where they're at. And then I always want the dance to be where they want to be because I'm like, if you can't get there in your own life, then maybe we could do it on stage. Like, where can we be? something you want to be. And then, um, yeah, and then when I let the dancers go through that process, I sit with them and watch them and consider it all. And and then I'll ask them, uh, "How to, what are you thinking about? Like, how are you feeling about what you're doing? And then that unpacks more. And, I think that that's a really good process because, like, you know, I'm like, if a person can understand how they're navigating their world, their realm, emotionally how they're drawing things in and moving things through, and how specific they want to be or not. Like, I'm like, that's your autonomy as a dancer. And I've never felt, I mean, I... I really feel like I defy categories because I never want to be one thing. So I didn't really want, I'm not a dance robot. I'm never going to be that. I'm a collaborator. I'm a creative voice and I'm an instinctual person. So if we're working together and you're the choreographer, I'll definitely work to develop the best way that my body and mind, soul, spirit can actually interpret what you're saying, what you're thinking. And for that, I need to tune into you. For that I need to listen to everything that you and I need to watch really intently. My job is not to imitate you or to mimic. It's to be me embracing you. Everything that you want to be, I'll try and embrace that. And give to that and and transform even the limits of your own thought process. And you know, when I used to do that in the most successful dance choreography relations I had. Uh, That I think about was ones where I was able to excite them, not because I achieved what they wanted, but because I surpassed what they even imagined was possible. And that gave me some sense of satisfaction because I'm like, I gave you my artistry, I gave you my integrity, I gave you my value, and that's my dance. Yeah.
1: People are always looking for that. At least when I was at the Ailey School, they're always like don't just do the steps be yourself you want to see who you are you want to see what the story is in at ailey there's a lot of stories about the african-american culture and i mean i don't have that past but a lot of my friends do that went to ailey so they were like okay you know we want to see your ancestors we want to see this but because the work was so technical and no one had ever let them experience that in any way or giving them permission and they've not even given themselves permission to, you know, be themselves when they dance. They just wanted to be some type of dance robot. So it's really hard for people to understand that and to really bring out themselves. Um and I think that's really what's missing in dance. When you watch someone, um when I see classical ballet or something like that. People are very just focused on the step which is it's beautiful but you what really stands out is when you see someone on stage who's doing the step but also you can see themselves like you can see who they actually are how they feel about it and it's really it's it's missing but that's what i saw in your dancers
2: i really appreciate i really appreciate you saying that and i feel like we've really worked hard to cultivate that sense of self. And and I think that sense of self just comes with responsibility. Like, your responsibility is to have integrity, Um, to be honest, to reveal yourself, to be exposed by the vulnerabilities and fragilities of our um, spiritual way. And we're lucky in our culture to have um, physical expressions. Like, you would have heard sounds coming out of their mouths. You would have seen, like, their eyes. You would have seen them do their shaking of their hands. And, and like, it's, it's an echo. I'm going to use the word just for the sake of explanation. It's not like what we talk about. But to me, I remember dancing when I used to dance. I wasn't thinking about the count, I never, I was always thinking about musicality um, on the broadest term of what that was. So I would learn
0: the choreography
2: um, through the feel, not through the thought. Because I'm like, I'm not dancing thoughts, I'm dancing the feel of it. And then if all I need to do is like recall the emotion and the emotion of time. And then your musicality would, like, do the whole thing. And, you know, there are other dancers, like, five, seven, eight. And I'm only laughing because I'm like, that wasn't my skill. I just didn't have the capacity in my brain to be interested in that longer. You know, like, five, six, seven, eight, I'm, like, finished. Can't be bothered. I want to think about what we're trying to do. And I want to think about who's out there and who I'm trying to connect with.
1: Well, wow, it was such an amazing conversation. And I'm I'm so glad that we got to chat and talk about everything.
2: Me too. It's been um, wonderful sitting and connecting with you. And, yeah, thanks for your questions and for your time. And then, yeah, I wish you all the best and for your podcasting and, yeah, and your work and look forward to, like, staying connected and sharing some more at another time. Okay, great. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Dancer Talks. I hope that you enjoyed listening to our conversation and learned a lot. Make sure to subscribe to Dancer Talks on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as follow us on Instagram at Dancer Talks. You can learn more about Atamira Dance Company and stay up to date with the company by visiting their website, atamiradance.co.nz and following them on Instagram at Atamira Dance Company. I'm your host, McCall Sheets, and keep dancing.